feel free to use whatever language you want. Yeah. Rob doesn't edit those out, so feel free I to. I do just, so. Awesome. Not last week. I do. I, that, I, I miss that. Well, you know, sometimes if it's important, it, you know, it's the clarity all, of the sentence. Uh, it's like a verbal exclamation mark. Ryan. That's right. <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. ATBanter.com. Oh, interesting. I, you know, I was thinking about this earlier um, while I was on vacation. Maybe we need to change up the intro yeah. a little bit. I feel like we do the same thing every week. Mm-hmm. And granted, that's my personality. I'm very, I've <laughs> always been very much a take the same way to work every day, get the same mm-hmm. thing every day. You know, have creature the same thing for, for yeah, I'm very Most much a creature, yeah. very much a creature of habit. Uh, and I feel like I bring that to the podcast. And so I thought, you know what? I should go in next week and I should just do something completely different for the intro. Okay. And, uh, we've kind of, we've, we've kind of, uh, done that. Yeah. I haven't even said who I was. I haven't said, <laughs> or I haven't, I haven't even said who I am. That's I haven't right. introduced you. Yep. Nothing. We haven't even done that. And it's, I don't know, it's minute two already. Wow. So, uh, we're changing it up already, but if you were wondering, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today is me, Ryan Flurry. Look at that! Changed it up again. <laughs> Didn't even let me do it. Uh, Steve Steve Barkley, who who you may know, uh, is out again this week. Uh, yeah, I don't. When is the last time he was on the show? I don't know. It's like I think it was like a month ago. He's busy working. So it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were off last week. We were off last week. I was off last week. I you should be were specific. Off last week. So that was nice. Uh, always good to have a bit of a brain break. Yes. I feel bright-eyed and bushy-tailed coming in back into work this week. So excellent. Expect a lot of emails in your inbox, Ryan. Okie dokie. Uh, but what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Amy Silverman, who is an award-winning writer and teacher also journalist of social justice, political, and cultural issues. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny how we we met Amy, uh, because we were actually originally, a few weeks ago, we were actually going to do a show about, uh, kind of about the language of disability, and we, we came across her because she had edited a style guide um, for journalists um, about the language of disability and you know, what terms to use and what terms maybe to not use and, and we sort of uh, got in contact with her and we were originally going to have her on it, uh, as that show and that show kind of fell through fell through the cracks and the more we dug into to Amy's bio uh, which we, there's a lot of yeah we realized <laughs> that wow they, her, her actual personal story is actually very interesting yeah. let's just get her on the show to just talk about uh, herself uh, you know she's she's uh, has a daughter with Down syndrome and 
Uh, she's written a book about it. So we thought, you know what, let's just have her on and just talk. So uh, that's what we're doing today, and that's how that all came about. That's right. It's the inside baseball story about uh, the the inner workings of the podcast, and <laughs> which, hey, we should write a book about that. Maybe, maybe in you know, yeah, two years we'll have enough. You and Steve are the writers. I can't write worth beans. I'm not a writer at all. You can do the audio book. <laughs> I'll you, just can, get, you can narrate the I'll audio book. I'll get one book. of the speech engines to read it. No, don't get that. Are you kidding? <laughs> Lazy butthead. <laughs> just read it. Read it. No. Uh, uh, oh, but, but, but we have dun, 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 podcast treat of the week. Oh, God. You're going to make me fat, dude. <laughs> do we, are you still doing this? What do you mean still doing this? Okay. All right. No, I'm down with this. I benefit. What is it? Let's see. Oh, I dropped it. I think these are called sesame snaps. Oh, are you serious? I'm serious. I remember these. Uh, you have to read the package. Is that what they're called? Because I think they might be called like, I don't know, ginger snaps or sesame snaps. Yeah, I remember these. Yeah. Uh, I threw it under the couch. Rob had to get it. Hang on. He'll yeah, be. sesame snaps. I used to get these on my lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and these are from that decade. <laughs> Hmm. So, what's the package Thank say about you. them? What uh, are they? Well, they. Do you know where they're where they're manufactured? Not idea. No Poland. idea. Poland. Poland. All the way from Poland. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess Poland. Maybe maybe they grow sesame seeds in Poland. Maybe that's where. Where the hell do we get sesame seeds from? The sesame plant. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming there's got to be a sesame plant. They're seeds, right? We're so stupid. I'm sorry, everybody. Like we just, I don't know why anyone listens to the show. We don't know anything about anything. We just, we just constantly just make stuff up. So what's in if, these? If anyone's like looking to be informed on a by a podcast, is you just come to the wrong show. Uh, what? So what's in these? There's sesame seeds. Sesame seeds. Uh, Does it say the ingredients? Like, well, it's got to. They're all glued together. There's got to be syrup. something. Uh, uh yeah, looks like, well. There's a bunch of cholesterol in it. <laughs> 100, 180 calories and ten grams of fat. Hmm. Wow, this this has got to be held together by like sugar or something. That's a lot of fat for sesame seeds. Well, thank you, sir. You're welcome. We we'll eat that on the way home. Change it up from week to week. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we'll get to a point where you start the you know vegetable of the week. I thought about it. Did you? I might throw yeah. in vegetables from time to time. Yeah, don't do that. Might be like a carrot stick and dip or something, or yeah, celery and cheese whiz or something. Hmm. <laughs> Wait till Steve's here for that because he'll want to appreciate <laughs> appreciate the Brussels sprouts. Oh. <laughs> hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, we do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines, 
uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now is Amy Silverman, author of the book, My Heart Can't Even Believe It. Hi, it's Amy. Hi. So, Amy, I am Ryan. <laughs> and joining, joining <laughs> Hello. Me, hi. And joining me is my co-host, Rob Minot. Hello there. Hello. And we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know you're a very busy lady. Oh, no, thank you. And thank you for dealing with my crazy travel schedule. It's not, I'm not normally this busy, so... Well, been a nutty right. summer. Um, why don't we just start out and uh, give us an idea uh, of who you are and and a, a little bit about maybe the book. Sure. So I am a native of Phoenix, Arizona. I left uh, after growing up feeling like the real minority in my neighborhood is a liberal Jew. Um, and went to L.A. and D.C. and New York and uh, came back in 1991 because uh, everybody said there was a recession, which is such a cute term to describe 1991 in the U.S. That was <laughs> no recession. But anyhow, I came home. New York was too much for me. Never meant to stay. Ended up staying and really made Phoenix my beat as a journalist. Worked for the Alternative News Weekly here for 25 years. And uh, the beauty of that job was not only was, did I get to do long-form journalism, but I got to do it on any topic I wanted. No beats at all. Just you mm. can pitch a story that, that the editors like, you can do it. And we didn't use the term social justice back then, but I definitely gravitated toward ju social justice issues, politics, things like that. And uh, about let's see, 11 years into my tenure at New Times. Um, I'd been a staff writer for 11 years, writing these obnoxiously long stories. I had my second daughter. And when we were in the recovery room, I, I opened my eyes and said to my husband, what are you doing? Because he was kind of fiddling around next to me. And he said, we're measuring the, the where the baby's ears are on her head because it looks like she might have Down syndrome. And I did what any, um, you know, upstanding mother would do and closed my eyes and tried to go back to sleep for as long as I could. I was not something I was prepared to deal with. Right. Um, and I, and I realized on how many levels I wasn't prepared to deal with that in the ensuing days as we got a confirmation of the diagnosis and I realized I had never met anybody with Down syndrome. I was the person who would go to the grocery store and avoid the line with the with the bagger who had Down syndrome without even realizing I was doing it. Yeah. And I had never written any kind of significant story about a person with intellectual disabilities. So add that to the postpartum mix, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm already self-loathing as a baseline, but that was that was pretty bad. I, I was. I was pretty horrified with myself, and it was a real sea change for me to figure out what it meant to have Sophie in our lives. Sophie's my daughter, uh, and Sophie means wisdom in Greek. Early on, I thought, do we need to change her name? Because, of course, she has an intellectual disability, or as I called it then, she was mentally retarded. That was the medical term that everybody used. Right. You know, right. would she ever be wise? And it's amazing to look back 16 years later and, and just think about how wise I was not. So that, that's kind of it. That's me. Well, and I think that's, 
you know, goes across disability, you know, more and more we hear about society actually waking up to the fact that, you know, people with disabilities are able to contribute to society just as much so, if not more so, than able-bodied people. In, in ways that I could not have imagined. Sophie's emotional IQ, which is like such a gross, cheesy way of putting it, but I'm not sure how else to put it, is so much higher than mine or anyone I know. And watching her interact with the world is fascinating. I was an American studies major in college, and I feel like every day is, you know, we're, we're back to school, and I get to observe her interact with society, and, you know, equally important, observe how they respond to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's and, I, and I just wanted to say that I, you know, that I got criticism for the, for the beginning of the book, I think some, and it wasn't really meant for parents, but I think some parents didn't get past the beginning because I'm very honest about my feelings of how I felt when I had Sophie. But I feel like if I don't, if I'm not honest about that and I don't tell the world that, that that's really hypocritical of me to then come on strong as an advocate for disability rights. I think that everybody needs to understand that, that it's a journey and a process for everybody. It looks different for everyone. And, and however it looks for you is okay. Yeah, well, especially given that, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, th- there's definitely a, gr- a grieving process almost for anybody who's going through, say, uh, some sort of, of, of vision loss or has, or if they've, you know, if they've, they've suffered some sort of an injury where they're now, you know, they've gone from able-bodied to, say, paraplegic. I mean, there there is a difference definitive grieving process and a process where they have to learn how to to deal with this new reality that they're facing and I'm sure that it's it's no different for a parent right exactly I mean when when Sophie was about three weeks old uh, a close friend of mine I I guess we weren't that close because I didn't know all our secrets we'd been in a book club together she took me out for uh, out to a spa uh, to get a massage and we were sitting wrapped in our robes and having tea. And this was a big deal for me to leave the house. And she said, I'm going to tell you something. I don't tell all that many people. I have two teenage kids. She, I knew that part. And they, and when they were, or I'm, I have two, I have two grown kids. And when they were teenagers, they were each diagnosed with very significant epilepsy. Hmm. And she said, you know, everybody has something happen to them in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yours just happened earlier than most. You know, it's it. I, I, there's truth in that. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not universal for sure, but it really made me think for a long time about what it meant to have that kind of sea change in your life. Right. And and it's been different at every stage for sure. But yes, there's absolutely a process that you have to go through where you figure out what what this means. And it's you know it's so interesting to consider disability as a whole because i can't think of any category where the experience is more disparate yeah you know what i mean yeah and you know and it's funny because we're we're sort of involved in the the um assistive technology field as our day jobs and i'm i'm constantly telling people that you know assistive technology is, is you know there's there's such a there's such a, a rich and varied stable of products out there that exist. But the thing is that until the day that you might require assistive technology, no one thinks about it. 
and you don't, and you actively don't want to think about it. I mean, if you think about it in terms of the aging process, right, that's, that's something that if we're lucky, everybody will, will hit and, and you need assistive technology. My father cannot hear, (laughs) he will not admit it. He will not use technology. Um, yeah. And I, I do, I think there's, there is, there, people don't want to think about it. I had, I was very sensitive when Sophie was born to whether or not I was kind of a pariah, you know? I mean, I think when, when we see pregnant people in the store, I wonder what they're thinking even today, even though I don't think about much of it anymore. Right. I used to think about it a lot more. Yeah. And it's interesting. Disability is very much the same. Like people really don't like to think about it until it touches their life in some way. Yes. And I feel very hypocritical on that front because I'm exactly that. I I didn't think about it until it touched my life. But that was why I wanted to write about Sophie in an accessible way. I started a blog when she was five and I, and I really wanted it to be something that people who people like me before Sophie would have read, you know, that it, that it didn't feel too technical. It didn't feel too insidery. There wasn't any shaming. It was just here. Here we are living our lives, you know. And, and yep. blogs have kind of fallen by the wayside, and and it more is direct on social media now. But I still do that with with some intent, you know. I'm going to educate you in a very subtle way on what our lives are like because you may be sitting out there really wondering and not able to access it because because you don't think about it it makes you uncomfortable and you're not sure how to access it. And it's why the language of disability is so important to me because I believe that we, and I think this was the case for me. I think I avoided covering those topics because I didn't want to offend anyone. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I didn't want to describe someone's vision loss the wrong way or, or their kid's medical diagnosis incorrectly. I didn't want to be disrespectful. And, and in so doing, often I think we eliminate a, ca- a whole, sec- not category, but a whole section of society. Right. Well, society is so politically correct now. You're going to offend somebody someday. We all do. Oh, my God. You can't open your mouth. <laughs> That's right. The other day I said something about how working on this style guide, because I spent all last summer editing it, and I, I would um, hear something on the street or see, see a friend and they would say something, or I'd look on Twitter and there'd be a whole new discussion about, you know, the word different versus the word disabled. <laughs> and, I, and I said, this whole process is rendering me mute. Yeah. And then I had to stop and say, and I can't say mute anymore either. <laughs> I think it's why I say fuck so much because <laughs> that just offends everyone across the board and there are no categories. That's right. Well, and it keeps changing. You know, like I, I'm totally blind. And, you know, for years and years and years, we were, you know, calling people with low vision visually impaired. Well, now I guess the term is supposed to be partially sighted. So, you know, unless but who can keep up? Uh, yeah, you can't, you know. Yeah, and what I, do you guys think of the new emojis? There were some just recently announced, I think, last week, and I actually haven't looked at them yet. Well, I can't look at them, but I haven't read about them yet. There are there are several with wheelchairs. I believe there's right. There's a person who is, um, for lack of a better term, blind. There's a hearing aid. There's um, a service dog with a person. And I know they're well-meaning, but I look at those and immediately wonder how assholes are going to use them. Yeah. Yeah, that's because true. Because they, they're such a quick read. 
it's interesting. I, I really see both sides of this. I understand that, you know, education is very important and the perception of disability is very important. And, and I, can, I can understand going forward, allowing, uh, allowing the community to sort of dictate how they want to be perceived. So, and, and language is important. So I, I can understand this, this I, and I don't, I don't see it so much as, as political correctness as growing pains. And granted, I'm the optimist of the show. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan will tell you that. But, but I, I sort of see it as, you know, figuring it out and, and allowing the community to have a bit of a voice and, if, and, and allowing them to sort of dictate how they want to be mm-hmm. talked about. How, I what, mean, isn't that part is. of it is that everybody's been silenced for so long and now all of a sudden you're empowered with speech? That's right. And, and it's understandable that you want to express yourself exactly the way you want to express yourself and you want to be described exactly the way you want to be described. But then I always stop at the point where I get to people with intellectual disability because how do we honor them in the same way? Right. Right. How do we give them their voice? Exactly. But it is a double-edged sword because you're, you're exactly right, is that if you go too far and you're too critical, um, you're going to make it so that people are actually afraid to engage and to have a conversation and to be educated because they're too afraid that they're going to offend somebody or they're going to get called I've out on Twitter. I've had friends say to me, I, can't, I don't want to talk about disability with you because I'm scared I'll say the wrong thing. Right. And I say, but I say fuck all the time. It's okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. and my baseline is don't, don't use the R word anymore. Like we're yeah. just, can we just agree? We're not going to use that. Right. And if you use moron or idiot or imbecile, that's not good either. And there's, I did a whole, the IQ reign, you know, there, there, those terms are attached to IQ numbers mm. going back. Right. It, uh, that's the, um, you know, that's, that's the etymology of them, but you know, but they're not, they they haven't been um, abused the way that are in exactly the same way the R yeah, word has. Absolutely. So it's like okay, we won't use that one, but but whatever. If you use this one, that's fine. If you don't always use people first language, that's okay. I want you know you should try, but 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 you can't constantly stop the conversation because somebody isn't using exactly the right language, I think. Right. I, when I would agree with that. I mean, I think the context is big, like, especially if you have somebody who is, you know, actively advocating for the community or being involved in the community, trying to open up discussions and they're using a, a, a wrong term. I mean, certainly maybe correct them somehow, but don't go out and publicly shame them on Twitter. Don't shame them. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it is so interesting. I mean, I'm so sensitive as a journalist and an alternative, you know, media journalist. I'm, I'm very kind of, well, we'll just say judgy for lack of a better term. But um, there's a political consultant in Phoenix who works for kind of the a lot of the dark characters like Joe Arpaio, who was our sheriff and had this nice. reputation as the toughest sheriff in the country. And he's horrendous and um, a bunch of other bad players. And he managed to get himself on the board of special Olympics here. And he made an unfortunate joke about something about special education and hockey on Twitter, you know, and most people I would have been like, ah, whatever. Like that wasn't the best thing you could have said, but it certainly wasn't the worst. But because I was so pissed that he was, I thought being disingenuous in his, you know, devotion to Special Olympics and using that as a way to get other clients, 
uh, and, a, you know, make a good name for himself, I shut him down for that. You know, right. so language is very powerful and you can use it in all different ways particularly if you're an asshole like I am. So. <laughs> it's, it's certainly a fun topic, I will say that for sure. But it's not really a topic of, that I can engage with my daughter about. Right. She doesn't really want to talk about Down syndrome at all. So does she... And she'll, sometimes she'll tell you that she hears the R word and sometimes she'll say she doesn't. She just really doesn't want to discuss it. Right. So, and, and I wanted to ask you that. Does she... I'm just going to say, cause I don't know how else to say it, but does she, yeah, go for it. does she identify herself as somebody with down syndrome and does she have a social group and do they identify themselves as down syndrome or how do they refer to themselves? Yeah. The social part of Sophie's life has been the hardest. She's been mainstreamed in school since she was in preschool. Um, she, so she's not in the self-contained class at school She's in, often she'll be in a resource, like a resource math class. So mm-hmm. she's with kids who don't perform super high on math. That would also be me, by the way. Right. Um, <clears throat> but she's for the most part with typical peers, you know, and everybody talks about how great that is and that's the way to go and you got to do it. But I got to tell you, it can be very isolating too, because Sophie knows, I've always said, she knows that she, she's just smart enough to know she's not smart enough. That's a really harsh thing for a mother to say, but it's true. She, she is, she is wicked smart in so many ways. And, and it's interesting to me because the word retarded, I, I think is such a good word. It means too slow, right? Just to, to keep something from happening. And with Sophie, to me, it feels like she's moving through a bowl of jello every day, whereas we're just moving through air. Everything is a little bit harder for her. Every single cell in her body is affected by down syndrome so physical and and intellectual physically and intellectually she's affected she's different and yet she's expected to perform alongside these peers and she does have a few friends in the for lack of a better term typical community um she really does not identify with people with disabilities uh but she is aware of being put in that category and it she I think it started when she was about eight. She told us that she did not want to have Down syndrome. And I didn't even realize she knew she had Down syndrome. Wow. I was still waiting to kind of have that talk. Right. How do you explain that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and then once someone tells you they don't want to have Down syndrome, what do you say to that? Well, yeah, yeah I get it, Sophie, because I'm short. <laughs> mm, yeah. No, I yeah. get it, Sophie, because I battle my weight. No, that doesn't work. I get it because I, I'm not... I'm not as good at drawing as other people. Like there's no comparison, you right. know, Right. she, she sees herself as screwed and I'm not sure what to say in response to that. I, you know, and so we, I do start to say things like, you know, I've started to say, what, what is it about Down syndrome that makes you better at things than other people? And she'll say making friends and that, you know, that's mm-hmm. a really great insight. And yeah. on some level it's extremely true. Um, but she really is isolated in a lot of ways. She's really a unicorn. And in certain settings, she will interact with other people with Down syndrome and others she shuts down. She's in a theater troupe that she's been in for many years. And she sees the other members of the theater troupe as fellow actors first and people with disabilities second. Good for and her. those are the people who she responds to and interacts with. Right, right. It's such a hard topic to breach sometimes. Um, but, but, you know, really, I feel like that's 
that's the hurdle that we have to get it to get over because that's the only way things are going to change. That's the only way perception is going to change is the more conversations that, that are started, the more we talk about uh, disability is really the only way that everybody else is going to change their perception because otherwise they're, they're just going to see it as this other group that, that right. deserves pity or that deserves, you know, Oh, look at them They're That's great that they did that. You know, this whole, this whole idea of, uh, what do they call it now? They call it inspiration porn. Inspiration porn. Um, I just said to an editor this morning, I don't want to do that story because it's inspiration porn. He's not going to know what that means. Yeah. It's that look at them, look at them. Yeah. It's so great. You know, wow. they, they're on student council. You know, it's like, well, so what? Like they don't, they don't want to be, you know, singled out and put on a pedestal because they're on student council. They just want to be on student council. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can understand how frustrating that is um, because it's, because as a community, it's extremely isolating. And that's, I think at the end of the day, that's really all people with disabilities across the board wants to be, to be viewed at is equals first you know and and their differences after and so you know going back to this this idea of language and the idea of of the the people first language Mm -hmm. i think is is a positive shift um it's it can be hard you know especially you know me and ryan are are a bit long in the tooth you know so we're we come from a different generation so not as long as me i bet (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to talk about that (laughs) but (laughs) but uh you know it so it can be hard and it can be frustrating sometimes because it's just like ah you know i have to, to change the way that i you know visually impaired is is a perfect example for me because i've been using the term visually impaired for for many many years uh, and have really felt like it's it's a fairly innocuous term, but now there's a bit of a turnaround on it, and people don't really like that term anymore. So I, I can I can relate to the struggle that that people from our generation have, but at the same time, like I get it. I get, I get the frustration that people in those communities are feeling. I do too. But you know what? If you deal with something yourself, and you want me to call you, you know purple sparkle head like, <laughs> I'll do it like that's your you know what I mean like yep. own your you get to own your thing and tell me what you think and I don't care if impaired pisses off you know a 20 something yeah that's okay I mean they're allowed to be they're allowed to refer to themselves as something else right I I think I don't know I mean again there are people who prefer the term retarded I I, I explained why I like it as a word but I do not use it. Um, I don't know. It's again, I, I love anything that's within shades of gray and, and that that's, that's my happy place. So I, I, I can talk about it and think about it all day long. And I think as long as you're having a conversation about it, you're in a good place. I mean, within bounds. Yeah. But it's when people stop talking about it, that's problematic. Well, you know, and I think that part of the, part of the problem isn't even related to the to to this whole topic of, of the language of disability. I think part of the other problem with this is is the social media sphere itself and the the climate of outrage that is really popular right now. It's it's chic yes. to to attack somebody on social media for and pub, and to publicly shame them. Uh, 
that's I feel like that's more of the problem. But I that's a whole different. Agree. That's I a whole different Trump. topic. Well, for everything, but but seriously, <laughs> that we people are so angry about so many things, and there's only so much that they can control themselves. Yeah. So that's going to be one thing. That's going to be a line in the sand that they draw. Yeah, and I think this is all related to the fact that you know social media. It's a, it's a it's a new animal. It's the first time in civilization we've had anything quite like social media and we're still figuring out how to use it and i think still figuring out the the real big downsides of having something like this we have no idea what the implications are i will say i'm hesitant to completely um veto it because for a lot of reasons including that my community my down syndrome community is on social media sure it's not it's not live in phoenix um I did not connect with the support groups here when Sophie was born for various reasons. And it was kind of a Goldilocks situation. I couldn't find, you know, just the right porridge. And then I slowly met um, parents of kids with Down syndrome who were, who, you know, it was sort of like Sophie and the actors, right? We connected on a lot of levels aside from kids. Oh, and by the way, we had kids with Down syndrome. And that was how I began to figure out what it meant to be the parent of a child with Down syndrome, how, how to figure out some of the similarities and differences in experiences that I was having. And it was a really good way for me to, to get involved in that community. That's not for everybody, but I, I do see that happening with a lot of people. Uh, oh, so do we. I mean, absolutely. Um, there's so many... Um disability communities out there that are able to connect and able to support each other and to give them, you know, technical assistance or emotional support or, you know, all kinds of things. And that's what real that's the heartbreaking thing about social media is that it brings with it so many positives. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's, it, it's just these negative elements that we have to figure out how to, how to, you know, mitigate and how to make the best it's out terrifying. of the positive. Yeah, and I watched Sophie use it. She uses it a lot and in some great ways. Um, she can put eye makeup on like nobody's business because of <laughs> YouTube tutorials, and she has access to so many worlds. And then the other day I left her home alone for the first time for a couple hours when I went to a meeting, and I sat down for this meeting and you know opened up my coffee and looked at my phone and there's a post on Instagram from Sophie, a photo of her. I'm home alone. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, shit. (laughs) The first rule of fight club is nobody knows you're there. That's right. (laughs) So we had to have a little talk about that. It's, and it does come. I mean, I laugh about it, but it completely terrifies me. For sure. So I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's a balancing act, but it's a huge one. Watching both my kids, I have a daughter who's two years older than Sophie. Uh, watching both of them navigate social media is fascinating. Hmm. Fascinating. Terrifying. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the book and how the book came about. Sure. So um, I started the blog when Sophie started kindergarten. And, uh, you know, this was right on the heels of Julie and Julia. And of course my husband said, Oh my God, you're going to be famous. And I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) And I wasn't, um, I wanted to write a book about what it meant to have a kid with an intellectual disability at the beginning of the 21st century at a time when we can, 
um, change a lot of things about ourselves, right? We can pick the gender of our child. Um, we are able to, uh, fix a lot of physical diseases, uh, at a, you know, an incredible rate and we're getting better and better at it every day. Um, 50 years ago, Sophie would have lived for a week and then died and they would have called it a heart attack. She has a a heart defect. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I felt like it was a really interesting time to bring a child who wasn't perfect into the world. And I wanted to figure out what that meant. And I wanted to, I had a whole list of questions, big and small. I wanted to know why, why people with Down syndrome never seem to have curly hair. I wanted to know what their role is in pop culture. I wanted to know, I had questions about education, all, all kinds of things. And so as a journalist, it was a lot easier for me to set out with my journalist hat on to answer those questions than to try to figure them out as Sophie's mom. And so for me, a lot of it is coping mechanism. And I find that I'm working on my second book now, which is um, about what it means to come of age with an intellectual disability. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's so much easier for me to put the reporting hat on and call the colleges and say, I'm doing a story about um, college programs for people with intellectual disabilities than I'm exploring one for my daughter. Hmm. And I don't know, maybe I'm sure that's a weakness of mine. But anyhow, that's how I deal with it. So that's how the book came about. You know, it's one of those human interest stories that to me sounds kind of fascinating and, and something I'd, I'd love to read. I love reading about biographies of you know, musicians and, you know, where they came from and, you know, being in the disability arena for the last 20 years. It's the same thing. I love hearing people's stories. So, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and I felt like there were a lot of stories that were very religion-based, which is fine. And in fact, some of my work right now focuses on the the connection between religion and disability. Um, But that just wasn't for me as a a committed agnostic. And I just didn't, I just didn't find anything that, that I felt like came, there there are a couple that that come close Mm -hmm. to kind of how I felt. So that's why I wanted to do it. And was there ever it's been a very interesting process doing it? Hmm? Yeah. And, and was there ever like a, a point where, you know, you kind of, you know, wanted to sort of differentiate yourself from other books that are out there that may may have been like sort of seen a little bit as inspiration porn? Um, I felt like I differentiated myself as a journalist, you know, because it's by a journalist, um, a mom journalist, but a journalist. Um, I was very honest about the fact that if I had found out when I was three months pregnant that, that the baby I was carrying had Down syndrome, I probably would have had an abortion. Right. I think that's probably the place where a lot of people put the book down. And I'm not saying I'm proud of that. I'm very, and I'm also, by the way, very firmly pro-choice to this day. But again, I think you have to be honest about your story. Right. Um, that's the truth. And I, I didn't get an amnio because I'd had a miscarriage prior to being pregnant with Sophie. And I didn't want a giant needle going into me. And, um, and there was a blood test that showed a slight, you know, elevated chance of having a baby with Down syndrome. And I'd already had um, a quote unquote healthy baby. Uh, who, by the way, was later diagnosed with juvenile arthritis, although she's fine. But, you know, again, things get complicated in life. Yeah. And I, I just figured everything would be fine. 
you know, and it was, we're very lucky, but the truth is that the prenatal diagnosis is a little bit more complicated than people make it out to be because you can have very significant physical health issues in a, in a newborn with Down syndrome that you need to be prepared for. And we were very lucky that Sophie's heart condition was such that it was diagnosed and then she was able to have surgery at four months. Hmm. She might have needed emergency surgery right when she was born, in which case it probably would have been helpful to know. So it's a, again, it's the shades of gray. Yeah. And, you know, and really that's, that's the really valuable part of it is, is the honesty. Um, because other people are, are going to read it and they're, they're going to be able to relate to that. I, I think that when we, we put a, a glossy coat of paint on something, uh, we do a disservice to the, to the actual conversation and to the topic that we're trying to advocate for because it's, it's not a realistic um, perspective on it. And that happens so much with Down syndrome, right? The stereotype of Down syndrome is, oh, everybody with Down syndrome is so sweet and loving and caring. Um, yeah, come to my house when it's time to get ready to go to the school. <laughs> you know, I mean, Sophie's a person like everybody. And the most interesting thing about Sophie is that, is that like all of us, she grows and changes. And I see her maturing more every day. And, and another stereotype about people with Down syndrome is that they stop any sort of growth when they're about nine. Hmm. And that, that has not been the case for us at all. So for, uh, to a large extent, um, I think a gift I gave myself was allowing myself to just learn from Sophie as opposed to learning from doctors and books and support groups. I just sort of eased myself into being her mom and kind of soaking all that in, which is not to say by a long shot that I'm perfect because I'm pretty much a disaster all the time, but it's a manageable disaster. <laughs> Join the club. But I mean, that's, yeah. and that's, you know, you know, and that's the thing. That's what I've always heard from a lot of people in these communities is that that's how they want to be viewed. They want to be viewed as people, people first. And, you know, people get in bad moods. People, you know, behave badly sometimes. Uh, you know, it, we have to we have to give everybody the same amount of space that we would in any any able-bodied disabled any community yep exactly so. and and you're right people first is is symbolic and it needs to be acted upon it's not simply good enough to use the terminology you have to you have to walk the walk that's right or whatever the appropriate expression is so, yeah, I think what we're coming down on, I think we all agree on, is that, you know, the language of disability is important. There, there's a lot to be said for context, and there's a lot to be said for, you know, dragging somebody through the Twitter mud and public shaming somebody for not using the right term. Exactly. Because exactly. you have to give people the space to make to make a mistake in order to educate them. And you, no one's going to be educated if you're, you know, getting 2,000 people screaming screaming at you on Twitter. Right. So I'll be interested to see how those emojis get used. Um, sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it is ironic that there's an emoji and I don't exactly understand how it works. I know on Twitter, on Twitter, are emojis made accessible? Yeah. You actually have to go into the settings in Twitter and actually turn that functionality on. And then our screen readers will actually read the emoji to us. 
So it'll be like emojis, like face sticking its tongue out type thing. Exactly, yeah. I was a big resistor of emojis for a long time. <laughs> yeah, me too. I still haven't used one. Haven't you? <clears throat> Not one. No, nope. oh, really? Nope. And it's wow, I don't that's know a how. good record. I don't know I'm how. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I haven't bothered to oh, look okay. into it. Well, that's fair too. I don't know how to make. There are these emojis that um, that you can make that like are supposed to resemble you. Oh, really? And they completely creep me out. And my sister knows they creep me out. <laughs> she sends them to me constantly. Oh, and funny. they always say something like, you know, great job or way to go. Or I'm like, oh, I hate that <laughs> shit. <laughs> but anymore, we're communicating so quickly that you're, I'm all, and particularly when it's, you know, fraught topics. I don't want to just say okay to someone. I feel like I have to say okay, dancing girl, cartwheeling <laughs> boy, party hat. You know, so that you know that I'm not mad at you. Uh, it, it just it's it's gotten out of control. It, it really has. Yeah. It really has. I I mean I don't know. I feel like emojis. I guess are sort of useful because I, I guess the downside of texting. Now that we've become a you know, a texting culture. It's funny. I remember when texting first started to, to gain traction and we had, we all had those damn flip phones, you know, with the number pad and you had to like, you could, yeah. you could type, but you had to like one, 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 you had to hit the one key like four times to get an A and then. No, A, B, C was number two. Whatever, no whatever. One. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember thinking like, okay, well, why the hell would anybody text when you could just literally phone them and save yourself yeah. 25 minutes trying to text them a message like, be home soon. Uh, no one's, this is never going to catch on. the older generation have not ever really embraced texting in the same way as yeah. others. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember thinking that. And of course, we've gone completely the other way. And now it's just like, why would I phone someone? when I can just shoot him a text. Um, but uh, with with be texting being so you know ubiquitous, uh, you can get your wires crossed real easily texting somebody. Like you you don't know how to I, I feel like emo emojis sort of help you sort of give that text context so you can be like, you you can let them know that okay this is meant as a joke because that because let we, let's be honest we've all been burned by that where we texted somebody a joke and they like come back and they're just like what do you mean and like to totally that's why these disability related emojis terrify me I feel like they're way too powerful it just ugh, I don't know I guess I don't have faith in humanity well and I think the problem is is that. Well, and I'm going to speak for everybody, so send all hate mail to... Oh, good. I like Go it. for I it. I like it when they send you hate mail. Yeah, send all hate mail to cowbell at atbanter.com. But, you know, we as individuals in the disability community, I don't know if we all appreciate being lumped into the blindness group, the low vision group, the paraplegic group, the quadriplegic group. I identify myself as blind, but somebody else may not. So... You know, these emojis are a general representation of a group of people. And yeah, mm -hmm. they've been consulted with, and these emojis have been approved, but nobody asked me. <laughs> well, right, exactly. And guess what? There's no emoji of a person with Down syndrome. Sure. Right. Yeah. Which is probably a really, really, really good thing, <laughs> right? It, it It's so complicated yeah. so i guess you could if you were really being an asshole like a horrendous asshole you could you could make a lot out of the emojis that have different skin color right 
we curate our communities. And so I don't hear people use the word, you know, the R word the way I used to, but I have gone on Twitter and just searched under down syndrome, like not meaning to do this, like just not meaning to look for slurs. And it's like blow you back against the wall, that, you know, what people will say. So I guess maybe people are always going to say horrible stuff and you just can't worry about it. I don't know. And we curate our communities, which is dangerous because the people who need to hear, be in on the kind of discussion we're having now are the ones who never will be. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I mean, the kids who need to hear about what it means to have Down syndrome are the ones who aren't who aren't listening. You know, um, although I will say I think that that we've probably had some almost by accident encounters with Sophie being mainstreamed in school where kids who never would have learned about it, learn about it. So she, she went to the school with the same kids. She has gone to school with a lot of the same kids since she was in in preschool or or kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And when she was in eighth grade, she had career day in middle school. And she said, mom, will you come talk about your book? And I said, no, sweetie, because your dad really likes to come. He's a journalist as well. And he likes, he, he goes and talks about how he got tased so he could know what it was like, you I'll know. To get him on the show. <laughs> He's a complete nut. Yeah, a complete nut. He's a way more fun than I am, you know. And 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 all of the like, you know, um, scary stuff that he's covered as a as a crime reporter, and and you know, he really lays it on thick, and the kids love that. And she said, "Yeah, it was great having Daddy come in sixth and seventh grade, but I want you to come and talk about the book and." And when I did, I realized that these kids have been going to school with Sophie since kindergarten. They were eighth graders, and they had no idea what made her different. Hmm. Because of HIPAA, you know, because of the the laws that prohibit discussion of such things Hmm. um, on the part of teachers and staff, nobody had ever discussed the fact that Sophie had Down syndrome. Wow. Hmm. These kids' eyes were huge. So I don't know if that will impact them or not. Maybe a couple of them, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, interesting. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it oh. is. It is fascinating. Um, and but but, you know, at the end of the day, I do. I just I feel like education uh, is is sort of a big component of this. The more people understand uh, about disability and have day to day experience with it and aren't intimidated by it because let's be honest a yes. lot of people when they're faced with somebody with a disability they don't know how to act they, they don't know what to do uh they don't and they do what i did and they and they switch aisles at safeway yeah that's right yeah that's, that's the bottom line yeah it's um so in a way mainstreaming is yeah and, and in a way mainstreaming is very important for that factor as well you know, I think it is. I think it's been as important for other people as it has for Sophie. Right. It's and I, you know, I get corny about it, but and it's been so freaking hard to make it work. But but particularly when you have a moment where it really works, that's great. You know, we don't have any of those inspiration porn kumbaya things where, you know, Sophie's the prom queen or um, you know. Sure. I'm trying to think of another example. She didn't make the cheer line. She was not cast in the school musical. Um, they did give her a pity role later, which was 
I had ever really come to Jesus with myself because mm-hmm. I didn't approve of that, but she wanted to do it. What do you do as a parent? You know, right, right. I let her do it. Um, but I did, I did give the theater teacher a little talking to that. I don't think he appreciated. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting watching it, but, but ultimately, honestly, she really, she, I hope she doesn't ever hear this. She really has no real friends. Mm-hmm. But how many of us do, right? No, that's true. I've got Ryan. No, wait, well, no, I don't. Yeah, you guys have no. And I, I am actually very lucky. I have I have really good friends. But at that point in my life in high school, did I? I don't know. Not very many. That's yeah, that's for sure. True. That's you know, true. It's, a, it's a brutal time of life. Sure. Yep. So I'm just curious, given given the amount of honesty that was in the book, what has the reception been like? Like, do you, do you find that you get a lot of people who are a little bit offended by it or that was like, I read up to this point and I put it down and you're a terrible person? What, what has the general reception been? Um, the general reception has been really good. I call it a small book. You know, it's not, um, it's... I haven't sold a ton of copies or anything like that. I had um, really nice, you know, media when it when it came out, and did a little book tour. And I still hear from parents. Um, the most meaningful thing to me is that there's a college English composition teacher in California who teaches it to her English comp students every semester. And she happens to have a kid with Down syndrome. But what I love about it is, I mean, I love it when disability rights classes use it, but I love it even more when it's brought into the mainstream and somebody who would never have encountered that or encountered Sophie um, reads it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my sweet spot. So that's that's been really great. Um, you know, I, it's one of those things where you have to tell yourself that it's it's person by person. And I've had some of the most incredible responses from parents. And again, I did not write it for parents. I would not have been able to read that book when Sophie was born. Um, people who really took a lot of meaning from it, which has been really great. I, I'm, I'm really glad I did it. it, it it's one of the best things I've done. Um, I'm excited about the next one because you know how it goes. You guys are creative. I, you, you create, you dream of what something's going to be like, and then you create it. And and to a very great extent, I got to write exactly the book I wanted. But now I'm so excited about what I envision the next one to be, you know. Yep, so that's yeah. always fun. I always say you're only as good as your next byline. So, um, but it was it was it was good. It's had it's had some really good and meaningful response. So when when can we expect the next book? Oh, I'm at the very early stages because I'm still reporting it. Because, oh, I, I mean, my, you know, I always, and I always laugh that my subject matter slows me down, you know, <laughs> um, as soon yeah. as I sit down to work, here comes Sophie, which is fine. And we collaborate on things now too. And I'm also working on, um, hopefully, a, like a middle reader book, not YA. The editor said by the time they get to junior high, they don't care anymore. You got to get them in fourth grade, which is really interesting. And there's a really interesting collection of books about disability for young readers coming out. Um, there's one called Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus, which is about a girl who is born without arms, hmm. and it also involves Tourette syndrome. Uh, there's one coming out about, I believe, a girl who has CP and uses a wheelchair this fall that's getting a lot of buzz. So there, so that's a really great way to educate people early. Um, I think that's really, really nice. So early, early stages on everything. What's Sophie's creativity gift? You were saying she's great at eye makeup. Are we going to see her as a YouTube star soon? 
<laughs> there's already a yeah. There's there's a lot of models out there now with Down syndrome, which kind of alternately grosses me out and makes me happy. Um, <laughs> Sophie has already decided what she wants to do when she grows up, which is interesting because she's only 16. Uh, but she has a transition plan at school, and so she's required to know what she wants to do, which is kind of a shitty thing to make mm. anybody who's 16 tell you what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. Um, she wants to be a dance teacher and a choreographer. Hmm. Uh, and she has danced for many years. Her sister also dances. My mother is a ballerina. She runs a dance studio in town. So it's actually a feasible goal, hmm. you know, that she be involved in the dance world on some level. Uh, she dabbles in photography as well. Nice. And um, she really loves to perform on stage. She really <laughs> loves musical theater. And like I said, she's part of a troupe here for people with intellectual and other disabilities. Um so that's where her talents lie, I think, in, in performing and in connecting with other people. Right. She really, um, she's taken child development at school and gets into that kind of thing as well. So anytime Sophie can interact with someone one-on-one, uh, that's her jam, which is so unlike most of us, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, her sister often marvels at how well she makes friends. <laughs> that's nice. Well, listen, Amy, yeah. we want to thank you so much for taking some time out this morning and talking to us. Um, we would love to have you back. I'd love to come back. Yay. Excellent. <laughs> Actually, before we let you go, though, let's plug the book. So the book is called My Heart Can't Even Believe It, A Story of Science, Love, and Down Syndrome. And you can find it at the independent bookstore in Phoenix, changinghands.com. Or you can order it through Amazon, which I'm not supposed to promote because that, you know, we don't. When when our best friends own independent bookstores, we don't promote Amazon. But it is true that it is on there and that it is on there in an e-form. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all all of that jazz. Um, Yeah, yeah. Instagram, I, I figured out how to use this link called link link tree and so all my stuff's linked on instagram so i'm pretty happy about that oh really oh we might have to talk off i'm still trying to figure out instagram <laughs> yeah instagram's rough it is it's a little rough especially <laughs> not as rough to... as twitter not as rough as twitter but, but um uh, yeah well compare yeah i know just my... enough to be dangerous you guys know way more than i do i don't even know how you make instagram accessible is it possible you can, alt, you can, yeah, you can alt tag, you can alt tag the pictures, uh, but uh, eh, it's just what to do with it. Well, that's just it. You know, like we could post photos till the cows come home, but you know, what's that doing for me? You know, I don't know. Right. What's the point? Because yeah. my photo descriptions are never very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you and, that. but just so you know, my photos aren't either, so you're not missing anything. Well, and you know, you're probably one of the very, very few that are actually labeling your photos. You know, I, I've got family. When I remember to, yeah. 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 Yeah, don't even get me started on Twitter, too. <laughs> Twitter's so stu- okay. No, you're, you're too late. You already got me started. Twitter's so stupid. You know they've they've built in accessibility into into Twitter where you, you manually can, have to you turn can, it on. You can alt tag pictures, but you have to go into the settings and actually turn the feature on. Mm. In order oh, to I didn't even actually, know you could do that. Nobody knows to do that because they've buried <laughs> that. They don't even make it. It's uh, ridiculous. Anyways. Yes, it is. Anyways. I follow this amazing writer on um, Twitter. 
he happens to be, I'm not sure what his site situation is, but it's something. And he's written about it. And he was complaining that they just recently redid everything on Twitter and now he can't. He can't access most of it. Really? So I'm not sure what's going on there. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, that's the yeah. other annoying thing, too, when they do that. They just remove features yeah. without telling you or move them. Well, and, you know, most of us that I know of that are actually blind users of Twitter aren't using the Twitter.com website. We're using third-party apps, which make it much mm-hmm. more accessible. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. we got some work to do. Well, I may at some point write about accessibility and reach out to you guys on that front. Sure, absolutely. Because it changes so much. And, there's, and, and people, again, people just don't know about it. So, yeah. yeah. But NCDJ should be, we should be doing a better job about getting the word out on that. Yeah. For sure. All right, Amy, we will let you go. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. What a pleasure, you guys. Thank you. Let's uh, stay in touch and have you on again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, you too. Wow, that was was actually really cool talking to... I was just so blown away, I guess, by just, like I say, the candidness and the honest conversation that she was willing to share with us because there's a lot of people that would candy-coated a little bit. But she was very real. Yeah, it's tough. It 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 is tough. You don't at, at your heart you don't want to offend anybody, but at mm-hmm. you know the other side you want to be able to have a, these open open and honest conversations. I feel are so important because yeah. um, once you once you close the door, once you make people afraid to engage or afraid afraid to have the conversation because they're so afraid of offending, um, you're just not going to get anywhere. You're not going to educate them and. Uh, you know, well, I think, you know, us as in the disabled community who, to be honest, are offending or, or bad mouthing or whatever, you know, the people who are trying to talk to us, maybe, maybe they did offend us, but we need to turn that into a, an educational moment. Yeah, you, you do. Know? It, it, there, there's a bit, and again, you know, I think this goes back to, it's a problem with social media. It's not so much a problem with the communities themselves. Uh, it's it's just this culture of outrage that that exists online where it's just people love attacking other people because what whatever because they can they're behind a walled garden right you yeah know? so so I mean that's really what what needs to change I mean we have to it has to be a more of an atmosphere of education and and um, peace and love peace and love give peace a chance people plur as the uh, as the kids say plur plur Never heard of that. Peace, love, understanding, and respect. Really? Well, there you go. Plur, man. We should get plur.com. Quick, register it. I'm sure it's already registered. (laughs) I'm sure it's already there. Oh, probably. Uh, Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. Oh, you had the www today. I did. Just in case. I'm a professional. Just in case, you don't. You, did you know you don't even need to type in www? You can I just, know. Yeah, yeah, you don't. You, I don't even know why anybody says that anymore. Yeah. So, uh, hey, people can also find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't bother with Instagram because there's not much. Don't there, badmouth don't my Instagram feed, buddy. I'm just saying there's don't not much there. Don't tell people not to go there. What are they going to do there? I listen. You can look at the fine, <laughs> fine content that I've posted up there already in then. the past months. Uh huh. <laughs> All right, check pictures, out Instagram. Pictures of the train ride over here. Tell right? us what you think of the alt tags on the pictures. Shut up, Brian. <laughs>
Um, what else? What are? What else? What's? What are? Where are we? They can also send us an email. Cowbell oh, that's right. At atbanter.com. That's right. Yes, please send us an email. It's been a while. Have we gotten any emails lately? Nope. Hmm. It's been a little quiet. Yep. Everyone's on vacation. That's that's what we're going to stand by. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, all right, everybody. That is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening in, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.